0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. My guest today is considered to be the first U.S. government official to forecast the collapse of the Soviet Union. Herb Meyer, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Herb served under Ronald Reagan, and I should also note you were special assistant to the Director of Central Intelligence, Vice Chair of the CIA's National Intelligence Council, awarded the U.S. National Intelligence Distinguished Service Medal, which is the highest honor in the intelligence community. You wrote the book, How to Analyze Information, and your latest booklet is called, Why is the World So Dangerous? Where do we start? <laughs> um, I met you in Florida last winter, and you told me a fascinating story about what was happening near the height of the Cold War inside the Soviet Union. And it starts with a typewriter ribbon. What happened? Well, it was very interesting. Remember, the Cold
1: War was that titanic struggle between the free world and the Soviet Union, We in the free world had been playing defense. All we wanted was to not lose. If when you left office, things were no worse than when you took office, you did a good job. All that changed in 1979, 1980, when the three most unlikely individuals were elected simultaneously a polish pope john paul woman prime minister margaret thatcher and this actor from hollywood president reagan Mm. they threw the switch from defense to offense they said we don't want to keep not losing the cold war we want to win so we were suddenly looking for a different kind of intelligence not only where were the russians strong but where were they weak where were they vulnerable well one of the things we discovered is that in Soviet offices, when the office closed at 5 or 6 o'clock at night, a KGB official would go through the office and remove the typewriter ribbon from every typewriter. And then at 6 o'clock in the morning, come back and put back the typewriter. Every day. And we thought, gee, are they having a typewriter ribbon problem? Well, what we figured out is the reason they removed the typewriter ribbons was to keep people from coming back to their offices, sitting at their desks, and typing out copies mm. of Alexander Solzhenitsyn's novels and undergr- other underground works. Wow. That's how they distributed well, what them. What was so dangerous about Well, that? they were terrified. That's the point. So here you have a country that's locking up typewriter ribbons, while in the United States, we were learning words like programming and software and getting personal computers, So you can suddenly see the gap between their country and our country beginning to widen. That was called the productivity
0: gap. Uh, So so you're an analyst, right? You're taking this information, and it's up to you and that big brain of yours to figure this out. Well, not just me, but yes. (laughs) And that's what you did. Yes. What we found is that all
1: anybody had ever looked for were Soviet strengths, which is important. But suddenly but mean, we said, meaning weaponry, weaponry, armaments, tanks, missiles, submarines, things like that. And look, that was the right thing to do. But when you suddenly said, "Well, where could they be weak?" that was a completely different kind of intelligence. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, more and more things came in. What we once discovered, and this is funny, but it's serious. They opened a cardiology clinic on the top floor of a five-story sorry, walk-up. Who did? The Russians. In, in Moscow. In Moscow. Right. Not brilliant. Five-story five walk-up to test the heart. Right. Well, as President Reagan said, they never had any complaints, did they? You know. <laughs> but what we, we discovered is that they had more weaknesses than we had realized. And so in the end, we put together an accurate picture of the Soviet Union, which was very strong
0: militarily, but very, very fragile economically. Mm, what year was that? Eighty-two, eighty-three, eighty-four. 84 mm, the wall came down in November 89? Nine. Right. Wow. So you're seven years ahead of this, and you're working for President Reagan. What was so special about him? I, of course, worked
1: for Bill Casey, who was the great director of Central mm-hmm. Intelligence, who, in effect, worked for Reagan. But what made Reagan different is what we were talking about a minute ago, He wasn't satisfied with not losing. He wanted to win. Mm. He wanted to end the Cold War. And he thought we could do it. And what made him so different is throwing that switch from playing defense to playing offense. Mm. And that included an arms buildup, included economic warfare. And then finally, the bullet between the eyes, which was missile defense, SDI, what his critics kept calling Star Wars. And that was really the bullet between the eyes that ended it.
0: Now we come to 2016, and in your booklet I mentioned, you admit the world's a mess. Um, It is. But the world's often a mess. And this time, it's different, you argue, because we have withdrawn from the world. You would make the case that we are no longer on offense. We are no longer on offense. So explain that. What's, What's happening and what has changed?
1: You know, one of the great... Secrets of Life, when you sort of look around the world and travel, is that everybody moans and groans about the United States, and then they run into trouble, and then they want the 82nd Airborne to show up and rescue everybody, Mm. and we always do. The world works better when the United States is in the leadership, and everybody knows the United States is in the leadership. Do we sometimes make mistakes? Yes, we do. But when the United States leads, the world is a better place. Everybody around the world understands that. What's happened is we've now stepped back from leadership. We've made a political decision over the last several years that American leadership has been the problem, not the solution, and that if America played a smaller role, the world would be more safe. Mm. What's turned out to be exactly the opposite.
0: Give me a few examples. If you were doing the analysis today for the CIA, what would you write? I would write that
1: our adversaries recognize that the United States no longer wishes to play a leadership role. We're taking a back seat. So this is their chance to move ahead. So you see the Chinese moving ahead in the South Seas, building the the military bases. You see Russia pushing against Ukraine, possibly the other Baltics. Who knows what they'll do with Poland? They're messing around in Syria. So from one end of the world to the other, you see everybody thinking, oh, the United States isn't there anymore. It's sort of like a kid thinking, oh, my parents have gone out. I'm alone in the house. Now's my chance to do things. Okay. And so they're doing that. And that's made the world a very dangerous place. Would Iran fit in that category? Because you, you mentioned Beijing and Moscow. Yeah, of course Iran fits in the category. They're going to get a nuclear bomb. They probably already
0: have one. You think that? I do. You don't mention ISIS in that analysis. Well, it's all part of that. You know, that's a different thing.
1: We don't need to refight the Iraq War. But, you know, if you go back in history... When World War II ended in 1945, all we wanted to do is bring home our troops. We're Americans. We bring the boys home. We didn't. The people who led our country, that was a Democratic President Truman, Republican leaders of Congress, they understood the war isn't over because the bullets stop flying. It takes a long time for things to become stable. So we kept our troops in Japan and Germany. They're still there. It's been over 70 years. Well, in Iraq, we did exactly the opposite. When the war ended, we pulled them out. Mm-hmm. Our troops had won the war in Iraq by 2008, so now mm-hmm. we walked away. That's a classic mistake and a, and a classic example of the first lesson of history is we never learn the lessons wow. of history.
0: You know, I, I see it as a, this geopolitical tug of war, the way you describe it, and there's a push-pull to all of this, and sometimes it ebbs and sometimes it flows, and right now it's ebbed. Um, how do you reverse that? Or do you?
1: Yes, it can be reversed. And the way you reverse it, the way we've reversed it in the past, is by electing people who recognize the difference between playing defense and playing offense, who recognize that despite the burden and the cost, the world is a better place when the United States takes the leadership, and Mm -hmm. they change things. And by the way, around the world – People are sort of – they've got their fingers crossed that the United States will change course. Now, which candidates will do that? That's a whole other conversation. But that's what they want.
0: It's who you elect. The world is a better place when America is a strong country. That's exactly right. Um, Would Hillary Clinton? Would Donald Trump? Would they go on offense?
1: I don't think Hillary Clinton would go on offense. And we simply have no idea what Donald Trump would do. It's it's guesswork. We have
0: no idea. <laughs> <point>. Perhaps he's <laughs> suitable for your analysis. Well, uh, <laughs> your observation about this typewriter ribbon, mm. thirty-five years ago, uh, it yeah. speaks to modernization and technology, or the lack thereof. How do you apply what you learned then to what you see today? What you see today is that the world is becoming
1: modern at a speed we've never seen before. Really? When you stand back from the whole war, the terrorism, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Libya, Egypt, what we're actually looking at is the entire Islamic world, in effect, writing the code for version 2.0 of Islam, Hmm. beginning to figure out how to reconcile the principles of their faith with the modern world, as Judaism and Christianity began to do hundreds of years ago. And look at the mistakes we made. Remember, in in, uh, 1861, the United States broke apart into a civil war over slavery. Before that civil war ended, we killed more than 700,000 of each other, and a president was assassinated. That's worse than anything that's happened in Iraq. It takes a long time to become modern. And when you stand back from all the turmoil, all the problems, everything going wrong, what you're looking at is a billion and a half people, finally, after 14 centuries, starting to become modern. Is it going smoothly? No. How could it? Look at the mess we made. But it's
0: going. And that, to me, is is a reason to be much more optimistic. Because we have this speed of life, as you describe, that's going so quickly, does the transformation, will you – Uh, Will you allow that word? Does the transformation – I'd say
1: modernization, Modernization. the same thing.
0: Does it happen faster now? We don't know the
1: answer to that, but yes, I think it does. Your average 15-year-old in the Mideast has a Facebook account. They know what music people are listening to. I don't. They know what clothing people are wearing. They just want to join the modern world. They just want to be part of it. Now, you've got to get – the crazies out of there. You've got to get the extremists out of there. But in a sense, when you stand back from all the violence, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, all these other groups, that's the last gasp against modernity. Now, they Mm. can kill a lot of people, but in the long run, they won't win. So I'm more optimistic. I think there's such a thing as human nature. And when you let people alone... Most people get busy with school, with their jobs, with their families, making plans for the weekend. Most people would rather shop than fight.
0: Mm. I see the modern-day typewriter ribbon, then, Herb, as what we call today the iPhone. Yes, that is Mm. precisely right. You want to play 22 Questions? Sure. I do this with all my guests, by the way. I cue the music, and we'll we'll get going here, okay? This goes fast now. Um, I know our topics were a little more serious today, but I I thought you'd have fun at this. All right, here we go. Three, two, and one. Favorite spot in New York? What is it? Rockefeller Center. What's your guilty pleasure? Playing the piano. Your favorite thing to do on the weekend? Go bicycle riding. What's your dream assignment? Uh, Figure out
1: the best restaurant in rome okay (laughs) hold on to that (laughs) that could take a while what's (laughs) the coolest thing in your house probably my hundred year old grand piano
0: Hmm.
1: there are very few products with ten thousand parts that are 100 years old that work
0: and you've got and i've got one Uh, what's the coolest thing in your office piece of the berlin wall Hmm. (laughs) facebook or twitter don't use either one wow what's the first website you visit in the morning uh, the first website is the Washington Post. What's the last song you listened to in your car? Edward Elgar's Salut d'Amour. Mm, can't top that. What's your favorite app? Um, boy, that's a good one. I don't know
1: the answer to that.
0: Maybe question. Google Maps. Uber, that's, Uber, probably. I, I use it all the time. I like that. Yeah, I hadn't even uh, thought of it. Other though. than New York City, what's your favorite city? Uh, probably London. Best holiday? Uh, renting an apartment in Rome and living there. Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts. Starbucks. Name a can't miss restaurant in Rome. Uh, Carlo Menta. Name a can't miss meal. Uh, their pizza is the best I've ever had in my life. Favorite museum? Anywhere. Where is it? Ah, the British Museum in London. How many emails do you get a day? About two, three dozen. What time did you get up this morning? Four thirty. Bottled water or tap water? Bottled water. Best spy novel. Oh, that's a good question. The old Eric Ambler
1: novels are the best spy novels. And the best spy series ever done is called The
0: Sandbaggers. Noted. Best spy movie. Name one. Spy Who Came In From the Cold. I love it. Herb Meyer, thanks for being here today. Thank you. Check out his booklet, Why Is the World So Dangerous? I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time.